All right, gang, it is that time of the week all over again. I feel like we do this every week, Katie. Because <laughs> we do, David. <laughs> it's Welcome. because we do. Yes. Although, you know, a common phrase is rinse and repeat. And I don't feel that the show is a rinse and repeat. We do repeat topics from time to time because we have new listeners and well, there's new information and new three updates. Three or four years down the road, if you, you know, things will change and they require refreshing. But hopefully there's a little nugget that you get out of every show to all of you listeners. I hope, you know, you learn a little something, a little uh, just to make you uh, smart enough to be what daring <laughs> bold bold be bold yeah we want to we want to make sure that you know your financial life moves forward and that you sound really smart at cocktail parties how about that all right sound good that sounds like the true wealth show i want to listen to it's the one i want to listen to all Let's right make me sound so, smarter let's do that as we rocket through our favorite katie did you look at the markets this week I have not. <laughs> no, okay. honesty. Well, so that's going to make the conversation shorter. But because I haven't heard any chatter, I'm assuming that the markets have gone up. So the markets kind of went up. Uh, we are essentially closing at all-time highs for okay. the S&P 500. Nice. Okay. Uh, and I'm trying to confirm. So yesterday, I guess we got a little bit higher intraday, but... The high now for the year, 2949.52, which is 9.11, I think. Higher than the... $9.11 $9 higher than the high water mark from a year ago. So you didn't update my sheet. No, not not with today's <laughs> numbers. I but you still have the old highs. I do because I was like, wait a minute, that says from uh, September twenty first of last year, and you're Correct. telling me we hit an all time high today. So yeah, well, intraday my... yesterday, but I believe we've closed at a high today. Nice, and finally we, we, broke through that glass ceiling, huh? Yeah, yeah. So we've we've closed above twenty nine forty on the S and P five hundred. Uh, I continue to believe that is the more meaningful index than the Dow. 500 why, stocks versus 30 stocks. So most people have heard of the Dow Jones or heard of the NASDAQ. Why do you use the S&P 500? Well, S&P 500 to me is more indicative of the economy at large. Because it's the 500 largest companies. So it's the 500 largest U.S. companies based on market capitalization. Okay. Okay, so it's the company value, and that's determined by the price per share of outstanding stock and the number of shares available so right? Amazon so, Disney yeah so you know if Amazon is two thousand dollars a share which it almost is and it's got you know a five I don't know five hundred million shares outstanding then uh, you know it's approaching a trillion dollar valuation that's crazy right and I think right now the companies that are a trillion dollars I think it is uh, Microsoft hit a trillion Apple wow. hit a trillion and I think Amazon if is if Pretty it's not there close. it's darn close to right. a trillion uh, which is amazing you know, a single company valued at a trillion dollars. See, now, when I first started working for Little John Financial Services, a million dollars felt like monopoly money to me. Like, it just right. was an unrealistic number. And now that number is not so foreign. But a trillion kind of feels like monopoly money to me. Well, a, a trillion, I think, really is, for most people, monopoly money. And here's the challenge. I mean, to give you an idea, the, the United States economic output per year is a shade over 17 trillion. That's like the total gross domestic product for the United States. Okay. Okay. That's a huge number. Right. But then you start talking about 
the kinds of liabilities that we have outstanding here. So I have to tap dance for a minute because I'm going to bring this up on screen. Uh, there's a really cool... Um, Oh, is this the debt clock? Yeah, debtclock.org, I believe. Right, debtclock.org. And, and it kind of tells you what, what's happening at the U.S. In, in more or less in real time, right? Like, the sad part is you see some of the numbers going up faster yeah, it's, than it's we'd US like them to. It's usdebtclock.org. There we go. The current national debt is, oh, I have to count backwards here. So there's thousands, millions, hundreds. Of, so it's a $22.25 trillion. Ooh, that's a lot of credit card and, debt. <laughs> now here's and here's the part that should this really should genuinely concern everybody out there, uh, and the reason I'll I'll get into where this <laughs> really concerns me. Uh, we have a lot of unfunded liabilities that are not reflected in that number. So when you say something like unfunded liabilities, what do you mean? Well, let's say that. What's an example of that? Like I'm gonna PERS? I'm gonna first give it. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you an example like. Um, Katie, so, you make a promise to buy your kids a car someday. Right. And it's down the road. Yeah. So right? I'm not worried about putting money away now because it's Oh, down yeah. The you road. never save for it and you never change your budget. By the way, I'm not saying me like personally, me. Right, We're then, just talking like hypothetical. But then it shows up. Yeah. And you realize, oh, crap. Oh, I should have been saving I money have this to whole get time. This <laughs> car now. And there's somebody out there going, oh, you get your kid a doggone car, blah, 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 blah. But, okay, I'm just saying she made the promise. We're, we're okay? giving an example, folks. The United States, let me make it personal for you. The United States says Social Security and Medicare yeah, are going to be there. Yeah, I one day have You've something. been paying taxes, right? It's coming out of your paycheck, and someday it's your turn. And the problem is that those programs, they're not unfunded. They are underfunded. And they're underfunded in a couple of different ways. One, there's not enough money going into them. And then two is the demographics. We have this big group of baby boomers that are going to start using the system, and the group behind them isn't as big. So it's going to be disproportionate from a population distribution. Right. So, there's, right? so, so we all need more people, people kicking into the kitty, and yet there's right. too many people pulling out of it. Yeah, right? it's so easy. If no you get 10 people over. paying in and one person using it, no big deal. When you get one person paying in and 10 people using it, that dog don't hunt. Right. Like, there's just not enough money. Right. So. So that was a very technical term, by I know. the way. We use some pretty hunting. fun, yeah, little little sayings here. So, so you get that the idea here is if you've got that kind of obligation outstanding, and I've seen different numbers, uh, some to the tune of, you know, 60, 70 trillion, uh, depending on what you look at. But, uh, and, and the total federal tax revenue, about 3.4 trillion so, so what you're saying is like when you're looking at the u.s debt clock.org it doesn't account all of the future unfunded liabilities for it, like social it, security for example yeah it has it's not no calculating my that. social security at this point right it, this is just where we're at it's a snapshot in time of what we really are but what we know is coming down the pike is going to be these big things uh, i'll use another funny term for you it's the pig in the python right you know when, when a snake eats something you can see the bulge as it makes its way through, oh, right? Oh, yeah. And so you know it's coming. <laughs> You're like, yeah. okay, it's making its way through. And we know we're going to have this big population lobe that comes through the system, and we don't have enough economic resources. So there's some theories. What could you do? So I'm, right? I'm making some guesses here, and it's a guess, right? Okay. So I'm making some guesses on Social Security, and, and we're going to wrap this back to how this 
pertains to the market. But yes, um, I'm I'm guessing that in my lifetime, so when I'm getting ready for Social Security, that a they're gonna change the age. So I'm assuming you're gonna have to be older. I'm, I'm possible. My, so there's my we'll assumption call that is I'm gonna have to be actuarial solution. Right. So, so there's one actuarial. My assumption is that I will have to be 70 before I can collect it at full retirement age versus like 65, 66, kind of where we're floating now. So I'm thinking I'm gonna have to be older first of all. Okay. As one, because I feel like they're going to move the stick back some to try to save some money. The other thing I think they're going to do is adjust the amount that I get down. So they're going to say, well, we don't have as many people putting in for what your population needs to withdraw. So I think right now I'm being overpromised what I think I will actually receive. Yeah. I, in I'm guessing retirement. they'll do something different. What do you if, think? If do? I had to just play the game of what's coming in the future. One, I do think they will look at actuarial tables and they will try to say, well, you know, life expectancies are longer than we planned. So, yes, we so we'll will move the stick. We'll push it out further. And so you won't be eligible to access it until this point. Right. I think they may shift some other things. They may say, like, early retirement's no longer 62, it's now 65. Right. And then full retirement, 70 instead of 67. And that's kind of what I'm thinking is going to happen too. So, that's one of them. I think another thing that they will really take a look at doing is means testing okay now and what do you mean by that what is means testing okay so do you have the means to afford it yourself in, in essence they want to this is going to show you a little bit about my opinion here but uh, i call it the punish the the uh the responsible right so like okay, so if, if you, you have save x amount like if you receive x amount in retirement or have the funds to receive it then you will no longer qualify for social security well you, or get a reduced or benefit. it will be taxed back something like that got it so that, but I my suspicion is they'll just flat out reduce it the same way that right now if you keep working while you are In before yeah. your full retirement age, so you're eligible but you're before your your full retirement age and you still work, your social security can be reduced. Right. Okay, and it's reduced proportionately to the amount that you earn, and there's some different ratios depending on the year that it's occurring and so of forth. Course. But I think that that could just continue. If you have other income, they won't say at full retirement age we stop. They'll just say, look, if you've got pensions or other things, we're going to use that to reduce your income, period. That okay? may happen. Which, again, philosophically, I disagree with because everybody is mandated to pay into this thing. And it's being pitched as a retirement benefit and a, and a social insurance program. Right. And what they're doing is they're saying, well, it's no longer a retirement benefit. It's so just I, a social insurance program with really high premiums. I wonder if it's ever going to become like um, assisted living or something where they say, you know, you need to use all of your own earnings first and then it'll kick in. Perhaps. I mean, that may that, be. That's actually a, that's something that could. Uh, again, I think the political outcry will be tricky because, again, you're going to have a big population of baby boomers that all vote. True. And nobody's looking to vote themselves out of something. Right. Okay. So the other thing that I think could happen is uh, a form of, well, they, they, right now they cap the amount of Social Security tax, meaning that after a certain income threshold, and I don't know the number exactly, but it's around 130000 of income or so, anything be above and beyond that you no longer pay Social Security tax on. And I think they may remove that cap and they'll just say, look, you get paid a million dollars, you pay tax Social Security on a million dollars, but your benefit will be capped as if it was the original amount. So they'll just make high earners pay more, more. in and they won't ever be able to get it out. Well, so that's a possibility. And, and again, the, the, the issue here, this is equivalent to, in some ways, this is minority politics. 
right? It's minority politics because honestly, there's a lot more people that don't earn that much <laughs> than people that do earn that much. So right. from a voting perspective, it's pretty easy to pitch, hey, make that handful of people over there that make all that money. Pay a little make, bit more. Make and them pay goes, more. Yeah. And they go like, no, I don't want to do it. Yeah. And so, and they go, well, too bad. There's more of us voting, so we yeah. can do it. Uh, so how does this pertain to this? I mean, we were talking about the usdebtclock.org. Okay, well, we so were talking does, about our liabilities well, one and of the market. solves, right, is economic activity. If you think about it as, now this is a concept, and it's not really fully vetted because we've never gotten there. It's just, it's just an academic concept, which is at some point, if you raise taxes too high, it will quelch productivity and it will quelch economic activity. Okay? So yeah. to a certain extent, if the economy is doing well, you can raise taxes because the economy can afford it. But if you raise it too high, then you'll actually collect less in taxes because you will shrink the economy. So the optimum point of taxes to economic growth was something that could be theoretically plotted on the Laffer curve. Now, not Laffer like ha ha ha, like yeah. L-A-F-F-E-R was the guy, I believe, that uh, came up with the theory. And what shape is his curve? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Is it an S curve? So it's it it's it's actually kind of parabolic. Is it a bell curve? Okay. It sort of looks like a bell curve. Okay. And so there's this optimum point, and the idea is that we're constantly jiggering around to find that optimum point. It's far more complex than I'm making it sound. Far more complex because there are different kinds of taxes that are designed to incent or deter specific behaviors. Right. Right. So the government puts in place things that are designed to encourage some behaviors and to discourage others. And they do it in the tax code. If they want you to do one thing and not another, they'll make it tax beneficial to do it such. Right. Okay? Or make it hurt a lot so that you're Right. I mean, there, there, there was a reason that it used to be, let's make uh, preferential treatment for long-term capital gains. We want investors to be longer term in nature. We don't right. want them jumping in and jumping out of the marketplace. Or health insurance. Health insurance was another tax, right? Like they made it pretty hefty if you didn't have it. So. Well, that's a... That's a it's a separate thing, but I mean, it's, yeah, it's you know, a, it's like, well, if you didn't have health insurance, then you got taxed. You got a, like an additional penalty yeah, tax. I, I mean, I, yes, I, I think we're talking about two, two different strategies, right? right. That was, uh, well, the, I was the talking about like the negative thing. strategy, like strategy. In, like in a sense, yes, that's, or, that's, that was, that was the legal rationale for the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, right? right? So Obamacare was, hey, you can't make me buy insurance. And at the Supreme Court level, what they said was, well, we can make you buy it if it's considered a tax. And so if you don't buy it, then you pay the penalty tax for it. Right. And that's essentially what it was. Right. And then later on, what they did was they removed the penalty, which essentially guts the effectiveness of the mandate. Right. So uh, the mandate was very important to their the concept of Obamacare. The idea was if you get everybody into this program, then the healthy people coming in at the same time as the unhealthy people, you should get a lot more money in the pot and it should help to sort of defray some of the cost because the healthy people are supplementing the unhealthy people. But what we did instead was the healthy people didn't buy health insurance anymore and the unhealthy people because there was no longer any restrictions for yeah, the, got a lot of insurance. The, well, they didn't have restrictions for pre-existing conditions. conditions right. They all ran to get on the program quickly because they needed the insurance. And I you know, I don't blame them for it. That's exactly what I would do. Right. But the problem is now you don't have the healthy crowd supplementing the unhealthy crowd. You have the most unhealthy crowd possible running into the system and becoming high utilizers. Right. Okay. And again, keep in mind. Like I'm we're not, not making, picking on yeah, anybody. No, this is just 
this is just math, okay? I'm not saying like you're unhealthy or healthy or good person, bad person, or this, that, and the other. Yeah, I'm just saying right. this is the way the actuarial science works. Right. So it's it's pretty faceless, nameless, tasteless. Yes, and uh, and and <laughs> it's not pointless. But but as you're pointing to the watch, I do get the signal. <laughs> so here, let's do this. Um, the, I want to I want to sort of give a, our listeners the idea of what the next segment is here. We have had a number of questions. We're getting close to graduation time here, right? And we'll come back and we'll finish this up. And I want to talk about one: what's the solution for how we fund this thing going forward? But then we're going to talk about I believe the children of the future, right? Oh, you know, no. So, uh, <laughs> so we'll talk folks, college station, savings David. and that good stuff. That and more when we come back. This is David Littlejohn and Katie Shuck. True Wealth on News Radio twelve forty KQEN. Trust me, I'm kind of an expert in stuff. <laughs> so. We have the, the <laughs> most fascinating conversations. Like, I, there's times when I'm like, man, to be a fly on the wallet and like to repeat some of the things we discuss. I don't know why the weird stuff happens in studio. We work together all day long, and it's fairly no, we, benign. No, we talk about weird stuff at work, too. Okay, I it, just don't recognize it. It's not just in it. studio. All right, so we were talking about the markets, but we were talking about the usclockdebt.org, right? U- about U- our yeah, usdebtclock.org. Debt clock. Clock debt. Yeah, if debt you clock. really want to have your mind oh. blown, go to usdebtclock.org, and you can get a look at What's various going on in budget the US? categories and where the money is getting uh, paid here. Yeah. Uh, it's it's pretty uh, remarkable here because uh, we're just piling on the debt right now. And uh, oh, I do have good news though. What? U.S. gross domestic product has grown to twenty one trillion. Nice. I kind of feel like Cuba Gooding Jr. <coughs> right? Show me the money. Oh, well, it's it's wild. Everything's moving. You look at it, and it's, the numbers are just scrolling all over the place. It's a little overwhelming, candidly. Uh, so. I do. I want to leave our listeners with a final thought before we move on to uh, our next to the kind kids. of yeah to the to the kids and our future. But it's this idea of Katie. What do we do? Uh, let's say that I were to make you. I was going to make you the the president or the czar, the king. You're going to be in charge of the economy for a few years. Oh. And I told you here's you know we have the current circumstance and you know you, here's what you're working with. What do you do? Well, the first thing I would do is figure out ways to help grow the economy. Like if we can have more income, then it would help pay off our debt, right? And that's one of the things even that we teach in Dave Ramsey, right? So you look at your debt, you got to spend less than you make. So the government needs to get control of the spending problem, first of all. Um, But also, can you make more somehow, right? Can you like, so as a personal level, we always talk about getting a second job, doing extra things to kind of bring in extra income. So it's both, right? Spend less, bring in more income. So if we can move our amount that we're making in the economy right now from 17 trillion to 32 uh, 21 trillion. trillion. 20 oh, 21 yeah, already. 21 trillion now. Woo. So it's grown. Yeah, we're doing well. To 32 trillion, right? So if we can just bring in more. Bring in more will help pay off the debt faster. Uh, all right. So I mean that's kind of a very oversimplified version of it, but Now, I'm going to quiz you more. Fun question. So first kay. answer is grow the economy. Grow the economy. Okay. I'll 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 work with you on this one. Okay. Now, uh, to those that say that the government is stimulates economic activity. Okay? So do we want the government spending in the economy? Do we want I would think a little bit, but maybe we want more private sector. Like we want, we want to help the small businesses grow. We want to help other people. All right, you're. You know what? You get to totally keep your job. 
Awesome. Good okay. answer. Yeah, Here's- no, it's because think about it, right? So I, I view the government a lot of times like a parent, right? And like your parents can't do the kids' jobs for you all the time. You have to teach your children how to do their chores so that they can do their chores. And I feel like it's like that with small businesses and corporations in America, right? You can't expect the government to always do your job. Like we need to do our jobs and grow our businesses so that we can be responsible fiscally responsible or is it financially responsible i'm going to go with this this is an interesting metaphor because uh i don't see the government as the parent <laughs> i see the government as our servant but that's that's okay but, but I, you I, I get what you're saying I get what you're saying. Like, if, if we expect the government to control everything and just dictate how we're supposed it's, to do this all the time it's not going to be as beneficial as empowering people to do it themselves right, and so, that's kind of where i'm going with it the private sector needs to be empowered more to do more I think that again, it's the the magic of arriving at the the final point there. You know how we get there. There's all these economic theories, right? Right. Uh, and different economic philosophies. Whether you are a Keynesian, or we talked about the Laffer concept earlier. If you talk you about like Austrian economics, there's, out there there's lots stuff. of different. Most of our listeners have not read or listened. Well, to. they're economic <laughs> models, right? Okay, and they're they're built around these assumptions. I think that the government does play a role in what we do. They do. Okay? I'm not so Jeffersonian as to believe we should have no government and it should be the Wild West. No. I, I like government in that it provides things that corporately we can all benefit from. What I disagree with is when the government gets into a business that really could be effectively handled by the private sector, right? provided that the private sector can do it in a way that sort of is diverse and fosters natural competition. Well, and how will we know if the private sector does it unless if the government turns it over and gives us a chance to thrive? Well, I mean, there are certain things that you think about, like, I, it's hard. If it were easy, we would it would you know, been solved long ago. You know, when people say, well, I want, you know, power to be delivered, and why should I have to choose this only one utility company? And I go, well, exactly how many power lines do you want strung all over the neighborhood? <laughs> That's true. Okay. I mean, how, how much infrastructure do we want? And, well, you know, why do I have to, why do we all have to use the same building code? Okay. Well, how many different light switches do you want to have to find at Home Depot to get to the right one? You know, what wiring system are you going to use? So we standardize certain things because it's more efficient. Okay? And so we have standardized roads and standardized rules for how you drive on them. We have standardized code for how you build things. And sometimes it gets in the weeds. Okay, And this is the problem. And when people say, let's reduce the amount of regulatory burden, what they're saying is, we need the government to stop making it so hard to do business and be competitive. Right. And we need the government to to not prevent competition from bringing prices down. Okay, that's a huge problem. Housing in California is a problem because there's such a land constraint due to land use and regulations for building. Right. You know, you go to San Francisco, there's nowhere else to build houses. <laughs> so yeah. everybody wants to come into San Francisco to live there. There's nowhere else to build houses. So how are you going to increase population density if there's nowhere for them to go? So the the wealthiest people will squeeze everybody else out because they can afford to, and then you'll be left with the situation that we have right now. That's just the nature. So the question is, is it an artificially constrained commodity? So is there, is there really no player to build houses, or did the government say, we created land use regulations that will restrain growth by doing these things? Now, sometimes that's a good idea, right? I actually believe things like having some parks 
it's not the park in and of itself that's the right idea that we may discover down the road I'm about to set some people off when i say this by the way this is funny <laughs> because the, the it, it, this is politically charged but if you have the mike winners a lot and guarded show come on tomorrow Mike would back me up on this. Having areas with green space and urban areas is important because it helps stabilize weather patterns. Oh, yeah. No, completely. Okay? So I agree with that. When you say man-made climate change, I'm not talking about whether or not McDonald's uses old-fashioned styrofoam containers for their burgers or whether or not you're using hairspray or your car has uh, no, but, whatever. No, but the I'm amount ta- of concrete or the amount exactly. of reflective surfaces. So that happened. Um, Big with, heat sinks all over the place change right. weather patterns. So when I where I grew up in Southern California, there was kind of like a, um, a pass along the freeway that they had built a bunch of homes through, right? Like the city had expanded further out, and there used to be a ton of avocado groves. And now the avocado groves have been cut down, and there's homes. The actual temperature has risen five to 10 degrees in that area because there's less trees mm-hmm. and more hard surfaces reflecting the sun. Or, or absorbing it. Absorbing Black top it. Like, gets hot. It and gets hot. when it gets hot, you get changes. And so when we say man made climate change, you know, that's one that's not often talked about. No. Is that I think we probably do have an influence. Whether or not it's at an atmospheric level melting ice caps, I don't know. But does it change the way wind blows through and where rain goes and doesn't goes? Can. Well, and I think that's why you're looking at more urban gardens, or not urban, but like the apartments where they're trying to do gardens on the rooftops. They're, and, they're, you know, trying, like they're to trying to provide more things. and more green space. We're stabbing it. I mean, I get it. We're, we're trying as we go. And, and in all things, feel your way forward. But I don't want to get too derailed off the point. Bottom line is that we there needs to be a partnership where uh, the government, remember, a governor slows things down. Okay, if you put a race car with a governor, it goes slower than a race car without. Now, it may make it safer. Okay, and so that there's that's the the other side of the benefit here. But too much governing of the economy will prevent us from being able to essentially earn our way out of this deficit problem that we're going to be looking at. And uh, if the government is to spend less than it's making, the private sector needs to be able to grow. But the government cannot become Government can't think like the private sector. Well, they're not. This is the takeaway of the day. Government cannot think like the private sector financially. Meaning, your your department that you're in, you don't need to spend your budget every year just so that you get it reallocated so that you can grow bigger the next year. Government shouldn't be an animal that grows exponentially year over year. It shouldn't have compound interest growth. Government should, its job should be to try to figure out how to be as small and efficient as possible to give the private sector as much ability as it can have to go out and thrive. And so it needs to foster competition, right? We shouldn't Mm -hmm. have one or two providers. Like, I kind of wish there was more than just Google out there, you know, like Google, Microsoft, and Yahoo. Why are they the ginormous player in the room? that they get to bully everybody else around. I, I, I'd love to see more competition in the space, but it, you know the, it's hard. And then the regulations that prevent competitors from getting in. Well, you've talked uh, about moating too, right? Where they make it yeah. so big that they almost build a moat around it and you can't even uh, it is, get across an the economic moat to get to moat. the thing. That's the idea. Yeah. And so regulatory protections that prevent competition. If you don't believe me, go look at the pharmaceutical industry. You come up with a great idea and try to get that drug to market. <laughs> Good luck without millions. We talked about it two years ago about the EpiPen when they increased their prices. Yeah. So anyway, there's the the drumbeat of the day. So let's we're gonna tr- switch gears here, but it turns out we may as well just grab our break before we do. When we come back, you want to know how 
just pay for college, maybe even come out with a little less debt. We're going to do that one, and we're done talking economics wonk. We're going to get into the good stuff when we come back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shaw. Yeah, True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. For the year. What? Yes. No. Okay, so we're talking. We're going to switch gears and talk 529 plans. So, yeah, if you have kids, if you are a kid... Not like the goat kind. If you uh, like someone else's kids. Right. If you're a grandparent, maybe. Aunt, uncle. Somehow Basically, if you are benevolent and there's somebody <laughs> that you would like to help fund an education. Right. There's a bunch of ways to do it. And I want to talk a little bit of shop today about funding college and the various vehicles that are available to you to do so. Okay. Okay. Now, I want to point something out to our <laughs> listeners. Uh, what I'm about to share with you, I genuinely don't have a, a lot of – what I have is a lot of passion around this, but we do this as a community service. Like we actually help people set up college plans as a pro bono service in our office. Well, yeah, we do it as part of our as part of our suite of services, but we do not get compensated for right. it. We don't we don't charge for it is what we're getting at. So we've got for our clients one, but if if this is something that uh, you can do a lot of this stuff yourself. You don't need a financial pro to get this done. And the reason for that is that if you are going through I should say you may not need a financial pro. Okay. If yeah, it's really not. It, you may not. So that's a that's a question mark. Right. If you are using a particular, if you, you live, most of our listeners are Oregonians, right? So state of Oregon, and you're using the Oregon State 529 College Savings Plan. Now, why is it a 529? Because the IRS is not creative. Yeah. So, by the way, in our industry, all of the fun numbers that you get thrown at you going, I'm a what? What? It sounds like we're playing football, right? Like 429, 529, 457. Hi. And it sounds weird. Um, 529 is page 529 of the Well, it's code 529. So, what it was was the IRS uh, tax Tax code code. that established the college savings savings plan rules. Okay. Uh, And so... College savings plans are offered state by state. Now, first, before we get into those, let's talk about the different mechanisms for saving. Okay, for for higher education. For higher education in general, you could open up a checking or savings account and put money in it. Right, and you get the interest that the bank offers you. And right, that's it. and there are no tax benefits or anything else. It's just a pot of money, and by the way, that pot of money is going to be. Uh, likely included in your assets when you go to apply for financial aid. Okay, which is that's an important thing, right? Okay. You're, when when determining eligibility for financial aid, they're going to look at your resources, and that's going to be one of the resources. Okay. Uh, option B. Option B, have the grandparents save. If you have right? grandparents, so put, that put are a still savings alive. account in the grandparents' name or in somebody else's name, and then at least it doesn't show up in your, your name balance sheet. when the kids. Because you know what's funny? They look at the parents when determining the kids' eligibility for financial aid, but they don't look at the grandparents. Right. I know. I'm just saying, but they don't look at the grandparents. So yeah. So, so or one the generation or the neighbor if you really trust them, but that's a little weird. <laughs> uh, better really love thy neighbor. <laughs> yeah, and you better better trust them because like, hey, I'm going to put some money in there, so in your name, that's okay. going to be for my kids, and then they're going to go. That's that's my money. What are you talking about? Yeah, and you know it's gonna be really tough to prove otherwise. Moving on. Okay, so option B. 
have the grandparents do it. Yeah. So uh, that's just regular checking or savings or even an investment account, like a regular brokerage account. You can put it in your name or you can also put it in the kid's name. Uh, that will also be considered, you know, that you look at the kids and their financial status when it comes to financial aid eligibility. Okay. Uh, Option C. There are, uh, you can look at what's known as a uniform gift or uniform transfer to minor account. Right. So UGMA or UTMA. Yep. Now, they have slightly different rules. One of them, I believe, I always go backwards. I think the trust is 18. Yeah, the, I think the trust is 21 and the gift is, is right. 18. So the gift is 18 and the uniform transfer yeah, so to minor. The, the UTMA is either 21 or 25, depending tw- on the state yeah. and the rules. Yeah. And I think in Oregon, it's 21. It's 21. So what happens is uh, essentially you are you get to serve as custodian on behalf of the minor. The until minor, the minor is no longer a minor. Which, But it's their money and it's in their tax bracket. This can be advantageous to a point because you're able to let them save and they're usually in a lower tax bracket than the parent. Okay. So that is a method. Um, all of these, with the exception of an education IRA, or I think it used to be a Coverdale IRA, something like that. Yeah, Coverdale. Uh, the education IRA had limitations, but you could you could fund that, and it had tax-deferred growth. Okay. And the tax-deferred growth can then be used for education, and uh, I believe if it came out for education because it was an, an, an individual, it, it was they called it an education IRA, but it was tax-free. Right. Right, so you didn't. If it was being spent for qualified education, and it was fairly specific and regimented about the, well, what how you counted did it and what as it a qualified was. educational expense. Now, there are a couple others out there that you should be aware that folks may mention, and they're a little bit more exotic. And here's what I will tell you: caution, okay, caution, okay. because these are things that if you get into them, you're really talking about sort of dealing with them permanently. Uh, because of the way the taxes get handled on them. And these are insurance-based products that folks will try to repurpose for education. Oh, I got one of those offers from like Gerber Life. They're like, buy this life insurance, and then when she's 18, she can take the money out for college. And I was like, how does that work? So this is, again, high level, but what happens with these scenarios is that uh, an insurance company has a life insurance policy, and you can overfund the life insurance. So you don't just pay your regular premiums like you would for term insurance. You pay more than that. And as long as you don't pay too much into it, because there are some rules about how much you can cram in there before uh, it stops being life insurance and starts, starts being called a modified endowment. Oh, okay. uh, But you can put money in, and it will grow tax deferred in this life insurance chassis and then when you later on the kid could theoretically borrow the excess value that's been growing inside of this tax deferred wrapper uh, so the, the in life insurance the investments can vary radically from hey it's just a fixed return of x or it could be hey you know we have some variable accounts that it could be linked to or can now be equity indexed so there's all these different components to it. But the bottom line is that what most people do is they will say, well, you can get it out tax free in the form of a policy loan. So yeah. don't don't collapse the policy and just cash it out because then all those taxes are due. So instead, borrow the money out 
And then you pay for school with that. And it's not because it's borrowed money out of your policy. It's not reported as income. See how it's getting fancy in a hurry? Everybody's like, what's he talking about? So what they're going to tell you is, well, you can take it out tax-free, but here's the catch. The life insurance is still wanting to get that loan repaid. Right. So you still have to pay it back. Yeah. And so so how does it get paid back? Either you pay it back or one day you die. And when you die, then the policy pays it back. But, oh, yeah, there's another issue. The cost of insurance. Every year that you get older, it gets more expensive. for you to be insured because you're closer to dying right that's the way that works (laughs) and if you don't have any money in the policy it turns out the policy that extra money in there was earning interest and the interest pays the premiums for you if you take all the extra money out what's paying the premiums nothing you You need to you need to pay and if you don't pay then the insurance lapses and you know what happens if the insurance lapses you owe all the loan money all back. all the taxes come back because now it's considered a distribution and not a loan and all those taxes show up yeah so it that's why i say it kind of haunts you forever so we have a we have a new saying that we've been doing on the radio for at least for the last couple of weeks is there's a difference between could and should right? right there's a lot of options that you could do for college but there's some that are better than others that you should do Right. And I'm not going to make a judgment call because circumstances are really interesting and unique. Right. So I'm not going to say there's never an opportunity where this works, but I want to tell you is there's a reason that the Dave Ramsey's of the world look at that and go, don't Mm -hmm. do it. It's snake oil. Right. Right. I'm just going to say there's a reason they do it. I'm not saying that it never works, but I'm saying... Be careful I don't what think you're it, sold. And- I, yeah, I don't think it works nearly as well as people say. And right. my experience in my career with these these types of policies is that they have not panned out as advertised. Right. They will get illustrated and all oh, the math. And if everything goes just right, it's amazing. And then in reality, you go, yeah. And then we didn't see this coming and it blew everything up. Yeah. So I know so a lot. Start more- asking some questions. Make sure that you really understand if you're buying something like that, what you're buying. And what's what's in it for them, right? Like, why are they trying so hard to sell you this product? That would be the other thing I'd ask. Right. Like, if it's that good for me, what's in it for you? So. Big commissions and in life insurance. Right. So we said at the beginning of the, at the beginning of the segment that we do five twenty nine plans for our clients, and we don't charge, and we don't them. charge for them. So what does that tell you? Like, there's nothing in it for us. We don't get paid more for doing it. It it's, takes our time. So right. This is just something that I believe that this is. Uh, it's very helpful for parents and students. And what I see is a lot of people that are crippled starting out with student debt. So if there's a way to reduce that, uh, then I think that's a good thing. So and, a, a 529 plan, in essence, is a college IRA. Or not even a college, but a, um, a higher education Yeah, so IRA, 529 plan, let me tell you what they are. Okay. And then we can talk about what they're good for. Okay. Uh, first of all, IRS sets this up. It is uh, the, the tax code that allows individual states to offer a, reti- a, a funding vehicle for education. Money can be put into the plan. In some cases, it can be uh, state tax deductible. No, not on your federal return, but state tax deductible, depending on your state's tax situation. Which Oregon so has. Oregon does have a tax deduction. If you do an Oregon college savings. If you, yeah, you need to use the Oregon plan to get the Oregon tax deduction. Right. You can buy other state plans. Like if you're an Oregon resident, you want to buy a plan from Arizona, you can. Why would you do that? 
there may be different benefits that you're more attracted to. Okay. Could be cost structure, investment options. Uh, so, the, so there's the, other options out there. You don't have to have an Oregon one correct. if you live in Oregon. Correct. But you can. But, but for Oregon residents, you get the tax break. It's not huge. It's a little over four hundred bucks. Right. Four hundred and thirty-seven dollars and eighty-five cents. Which, if you max it out, right? So the maximum that you're going to get if you're in a nine percent bracket, that's uh, the the amount that you'd, you'd get is a little that four hundred thirty something bucks. But there are no annual account fees like nickel dimers. There are still management fees associated with the internal funds and stuff. So there's still operating expenses, but they're they're pretty darn low. And they give you like a hand like so you can either invest based on the age or you can pick a handful of investments. But the investment options are I think are limited to like ten. Yeah, they, maybe twenty. Yeah, it's very limited, limited scope. It's it's very automated. But again, they're trying it, to make it user friendly for the DIY. Like, hey, I'm going to sign up for. I I disagree. You I mean, don't I, don't think so? to, I don't mean to. I don't mean to like to not to rain on your parade here on the radio. I think this is entirely built around the idea that they want it streamlined for them. And so the rules, Either when they way, say, hey, you can't change your investment option but once a year, that's not user-friendly. No. That's draconian. That's for them. Yeah, that's straight up. Okay, you can you can do, you can have any color you want as long as it's black. I, I was just for thinking, flexibility. Like if, if you signed up for a 529 plan and you had 4,000 options to choose as investments, people would other get states, stuck there. Well, other states have a lot more options than Oregon. But... The question is, does it work better? My experience has been maybe not. A lot of these strategies that are pretty simple and straightforward kind of work well, especially if you're going to be chipping a little bit in each month. Right. So who benefits best with the 529 plan? I think we should discuss that after the break. The, well, the people that will tell you <laughs> after our last break. So we'll grab that one. Stick around. We'll be right back where we are going to cover the few final thoughts on is the 529 right for me or you? or your buddy or whatever. This is David Littlejohn. <laughs> and Katie Shuck. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. All right, gang, home stretch of the True Wealth show. Really kind of the 529 show for the second half here. Yeah, so we're talking college savings plans. We're coming up on graduation. We're talking about kids going off I to know, school. And it's, it's a dumb name, but here, here let's, re, let's rename the 529 for you. This is the... Tax beneficial college saving structure. Now I have a question for you. Why did they make it an IRA? They don't. It's, isn't it like a? Isn't the five twenty nine like an IRA? Like it's tax deferred. Well, it is because so any money that you put into it grows tax deferred. I Meaning you're not you don't pay taxes on the growth as I mean, it it's occurs. Not technically an IRA. And then if it is pulled out for qualified education expenses. Now I want to clarify on that. It does not have to be college. It can be a trade school. Correct. And it can also, I believe it qualifies for room and board as long as it's not like high school. Well, okay. so what I was going to say is I always look at it as anything that can be built through the college, right? Like, so your housing and stuff on campus can be built through the college. Your meal plan I think can that, be built through even, the college. I think even apartments and things like that, provided that you can document that you're enrolled in higher education. I, I, I don't quote beyond it. This is something to take up with your tax advisor, but qualified education uh, expenses expenses right. can be tax free, so right. you could take anything back out. Now you're funding it with money that's basically after tax, unless you're doing a state plan, you get a little bit of a state benefit. Uh, here's the trick: Can you use it for private school for before college? Yes. Yes. Do you get the tax benefit? Not very much of it. 
So that's the difference, right? So well, like I could use it for my children's private school right now. It depends on when. So here's the issue. We had some people try to get clever. And what they said was, well, why don't I just put the money into the account? The tuition yeah. money and for then, private school. You know, and I mean, in order to get the tax break in Oregon, it's got to be the Oregon account. And then I'll just take it right back out and pay for private school and I'll get my tax break. Right. And the state of Oregon says, no, no, that's going to be, we're going to claw back the tax benefit because we're going to deem any money that you put in this year, that the, it's basically what they call last in, first out. So the money that you just put in is the first money you take back out. If that's the case, that was your tax benefit money. Right. LIFO. Okay. Yeah. So uh, if you've had it for a long time, let's say you start when your kids are born and then you go to private school in eighth grade, you could do that. You just can't really contribute to it without losing the tax break in the year of the contribution. No, we but your your tax deferred growth still counts. Right. Now, I mean, we're talking about you said a tax break, a max of $437. So it's yeah. not like it's a massive tax break. Right. But the getting. real issue is if you can't get any investment returns. I mean, so I put the money in and I take it out 6 months from now. Yeah, you're not If really I can't get any investment lot. return, what is the point of going through that machination? Just write the check out of your checking account because right. it, it you're not going to get any material benefit. Uh, so that's kind of the issue here is uh, can you people try to get cute and game the system. It's not really built for that. It's built where this is where does it shine? All right. Parents that just had kids in the last year or two. Yeah. Open one now. Open an account right now. Put 50, 100, 200 bucks a month into the thing and make it a bill. Do it every month. And by the time your kid reaches 18, uh, you know, a couple hundred bucks in there should be worth seven between seventy five thousand and a hundred thousand, depending on your investment returns over the next eighteen years. If you just consistently plod along. So I know we're running out of time, but I have one more question for you. What happens if my kid gets a full ride college and they don't use that money? Well, the good news is you can change the beneficiary to whomever you want. So if you've got other kids, you can switch it from there. You can even spend it on yourself. The trick is it's still for qualified higher education. Can I use it for something else? You can, but you will pay a 10% penalty just like a retirement okay, plan. Okay, so it's not like if I don't use it, I lose it. You will not lose it, but it will not be just, oh, income, or what if I wait until I'm 65, like a health savings account or something like that. It doesn't turn into an IRA. It's going to have a tax penalty associated with it. Only on the growth. So your principal, you already pay taxes on. So you'll only get a penalty on your, on your growth. There you go. But there you go. Well, look, sorry that we are uh, we ran so long on this one. There'll be more soon. Check out our webpage, and uh, you can see all of our upcoming events and other things that we've got going on. Lots more educational opportunities, uh, but we'll have to cover more next week. Katie, thanks as always. Thank you for having me. All right. Until next time, this has been David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. This has got True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN.